If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and be turning or opening up to Acts chapter 28. We're going to be looking at the last few verses of this chapter as we conclude our study on the life of Paul, entitled From Darkness to Light. Acts chapter 28. Read a few different passages from this chapter. Before we get there, though, I'd like to kind of go back and, and see where we've been up until this point in our study. This is our sixth time to study, uh, the sixth time to meet together about the life of Paul, but only the, really the second time all four of us have been together. So I'm glad we can round the study out with the actual whole round table. But we, we started back in Acts chapter 8 looking at the persecution of Paul, where, uh, where we, when we meet the gentleman who we're studying tonight, he goes by the name of Saul and he's persecuting the church. We see him at the, uh, the stoning of Stephen as he's ho- holding the coats, and then shortly after that, he's getting letters and going out to Damascus and ravaging the church. And so he dug into the idea of you know, what, it, what it meant to have that much energy and that much passion, but it let, having it aimed in the wrong direction. Just being passionate about something, just being energized about something, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. So we looked at the persecution aspect of the life of Saul there, and then went to Acts chapter 9 to see his conversion. And that beautiful passage as he's going to Damascus, he's blinded by the lie, and he has that conversation with Jesus, and he meets Ananias on the way back and is baptized shortly after that. And we see the complete 180 in the life of Saul. Um, And I'm going to refer to him as Paul from here on out, just for ease there. Uh, We see the 180 in Paul's life as he really becomes, as his eyes are physically opened to the, the wisdom in this way that he's been persecuting, in this new faith that he's been um, targeting for some time now. So we looked into the conversion of Paul and what it can mean to us today. So we looked at the persecution, the conversion, and then we looked at the reception, where we really got to dig into the idea of all that Barnabas did for Paul there. And as Paul was kind of coming into Jerusalem, he's having a hard time associating with the, the apostles as he's trying to meet with them. You know, obviously they're, they're still seeing this old Saul-type figure, the man that used to be pulling people out of, the, you know, out of their homes to, put in, to be put in prison. Now he's trying to come into their homes and preach the gospel. So it's, there's a bit of a difficulty there in accepting this, you know, so-and-so, you know, new guy named Paul here as he comes to this congregation here in Jerusalem. And so Barnabas does a lot and helps him, kind of brings him into the fold there. And we see him kind of starting his, his mission work really there right before and after his reception in Jerusalem. Then we look at the mission. And that had us kind of go all around the book of Acts and, and throughout the epistles as we saw multiple missionary journeys that, that Paul went on and all the works that he did with help, which we'll, we got to the next week. We looked at the first calling that he had as, his, as he and Barnabas are sent out on that first missionary journey and the great things they did. And, and, as they, and they come back, they're happy to report, and they're sent back out again. And the honor that they took with that and the seriousness that they really took into that, that role as they, became, as they became missionaries for the first time. And then last week, um, we looked at the idea of the companions that Paul had in his life. We looked at Barnabas, we looked at Titus and Timothy, we looked at the different men that are, that are around him that were either mentors to him, kind of in the trenches like Silas like, that we talked about, they were working with him, that were encouraging him right there with you know, knees deep in the work with him, and then men and women that he poured into himself, those that he got to mentor and invest into like Titus and Timothy. And that brings us to tonight, this completion phase of Paul's life where he really gets to dig into the last known whereabouts that we have of him and his mindset to what he thinks is the end of his journey. So we're going to be looking at a few different passages that kind of rounds out the life of Paul that we have. And then also, like I said, the mindset that he has as he's being poured out like a drink offering, as he's finishing that good fight and running those last couple laps of this race that he's been fighting so hard for for so long. So if you have your Bibles, Romans, oh, excuse me, Acts chapter 28, where he lands in Rome. Let's read uh, two different passages here. Let's start in verse 16 and read through verse 24. When he entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they had came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. 
And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything anything bad about you. Verse 22, But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. And when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging, lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from the morning until the evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Now let's skip down to verse 30. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching, concern, and, and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So what we have here is this is kind of at the end of this great adventure Paul has been on uh, to find his innocence, to prove his innocence into, in a court of law here. He's finally having to explain himself to these Jewish brothers um, that he calls. And so he kind of starts off by telling them, you know, I, I have done nothing wrong against the nation of Israel. I have done nothing wrong to this, you know, the, the nation of Rome. I have done nothing wrong to our ancestors and to anybody. And so he first starts kind of proving his innocence to them. But he also says, I also, had, I also have some stuff I'd like to talk to you about. And so they respond kindly saying, you know, we have heard no bad reports against you. And we're, kind of, and we're interested in hearing what you have to tell us. And so they almost set up this meeting time. Okay, at this time and this place, we're going to come to your house. So he kind of, he's under house arrest. So I'm guessing the meeting options were pretty limited, right? So he's under house arrest. So they come to him. They crowd into his home there. And Paul, you know, preaches from morning to evening concerning and improving going from the law of Moses to the prophets, undoubtedly to the, the account of Jesus himself what he had to say about the Christ. And some were being persuaded, and some, as always, were not wanting to believe. And we skipped over a passage where some were really kind of stirring up some strife there. We have there in the idea, the verses 30 and 31, that this continued on for some time. Now, as as you can obviously tell, this is the end of the book of Romans, and so as we have been following the life of Paul for a while... This is where the, the hard evidence of this is where he's at. This is the last image we have of him in Luke's account, we should say, or where he's at. And we have this idea that there's theories that he went to Spain after this, after he's released. There's theories you know, that he went ahead and went and towards some of these other cities that he's been telling, you know, like, um, like Philippians and Ephesus, that he's been wanting to visit to as soon as he got out of jail. But this is the last hard evidence. This is where he is at this moment right now. So before we move into kind of our questions about this text, is there any other comments um, from you guys about kind of the last known whereabouts of this last, or the, the fourth missionary journey you might want to say about Paul around these events and after these events? Well, it's interesting to me, you look at the text in verse 23 and 24, this idea of persuading. Uh, he persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. Now that is my kind of preaching engagement. From morning until evening. Just going all day long, right? I mean, he is persuading with all he has what he knows about Jesus, what he knows about the law of Moses and the prophets, trying to persuade them to believe also. And like Jay was saying, you know, some believed, but some did not. But that did not change Paul's fervor here. He preached, he persuaded from morning until night. Do you think that all the people who didn't agree with him waited until night till he was finished? No, probably not. They probably were ducking out early and saying rude things on the way out. But he kept preaching until evening. That's a very hard thing to do. People walking out on you and probably saying really rude things to him, but he persuaded them anyway. 
And I think that just shows the passion and the fervor that Paul had for the gospel, regardless of whether it was received well or not. And I think that says another thing about what preaching should be. Preaching should be persuasive. It should be an effort to persuade those listening to change their lives, to change their hearts, to change their minds, to live closer to Christ. And if we are not actively persuading, if we are not actively trying to prick the heart like Acts chapter 2, then I think we're failing at our job as preachers and communicators of the Word. Because that's what they did all throughout the book of Acts. And all throughout the New Testament, they tried to prick hearts. Paul said, with it, we persuade men. It's not, a, it's not a business sale. We're not selling vacuums door to door. But it is trying to persuade, trying to prick, trying to exhort, rebuke all the things we're about to talk about in 2 Timothy 4. That's what Paul did here, and that's what he did as giving us this example of what a good preacher should be. And when I look at this text, the thing that stands out to me is that Paul's not complaining. And, and we didn't read chapters 25, 26, 27 in the lead-up to this because we just don't have time. But the fascinating thing to me about, about Paul is here he is in Rome. He's a prisoner. He is, he is there somewhat of his own doing because he appealed to Caesar back in chapter 25. He's gone through a shipwreck. He's been bitten by a snake. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for Paul in the lead up to chapter 28. And he's still as positive as he ever has been. And, and maybe there's a message there for us as, as, as life goes on and we deal with all the horrible circumstances that get thrown at us. If we can maintain the positive attitude and the positive outlook and the, the, the positive mindset that Paul has here as he continues on his mission, because his mission never stopped. I think that's a lesson to be learned for us when we, start, when we start considering the completion of our own journey. Try to complete with the same positive mindset that, that Paul possessed the whole time. Uh, I mean, that's right. I, I think uh, I am saying the same thing, but uh, what really stands out here to me is Paul's uh, passion for gospel and passion for the preaching, the gospel, and his fervor and you know effort and 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 even grit uh, to spread the gospel. And this is what he wants to do. And in two places in the New Testament, he says he obliged to do it. He is compelled to do it. I mean, uh, he feels that he would be woed if he would not preach. So it is his job. I mean, it is his calling. And Paul is doing it even in the situation that he is in a custody of the authorities and he doesn't have the full uh, freedom. But here's the thing uh, I would like to uh, you know, share with you. Probably it's not only his words, his preaching, or his uh, you know, teachings, but his life is testifying that God is alive and Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the reason, Lord. Because, you know, if Jesus was not reason, if Jesus was not, uh, did not appear to Paul, how could he be so passionate? How could he be so powerful and fervent about the gospel? So Paul's attitude here, even uh, not being restricted by the custody, but not being restricted by his situation, tested very well, powerfully testifies what Paul really wants to testify by his preaching, by his words. So not only by words or preaching, but also by his life. He is testifying Jesus and the gospel. That's what I, you know, see here. 
You know, I think you bring up a good point. Uh, not only is his message strong, obviously, he, I mean, he's been preaching morning and night, and this is Paul's normal, you know, way to go about that. But it's his example that's also probably bringing people in by the droves to come talk to this guy. You know, I think about the times, I think we all can share times like this where maybe you go visit somebody in the hospital who's not doing well, and you go and sit down with them, and, and as you're talking to them, they quickly start to ask, well, how are you doing, Jay? And they start, you know, encouraging you. And it's like, whoa, 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 how are you encouraging me? You know, and it means that much more to see someone in, in such a, maybe a bad state, be reaching out to, to be checking in on you and to be pouring in on you. And I think about if I was one of these men going in to talk to Paul, you know, maybe I'd got invited to his, you know, his home slash his cell to go and talk to him, and I had to walk past a prison guard. And when I'm in there, then I'm encouraged by this man. That'd be a pretty powerful message, whatever he told me right then, that this is his mindset. And even though he cannot leave this house, even though he's having to stay in this home, even though he's had, he has a prisoner out front, he's bringing people to him. People for two years are coming to him to preach. So I think that's a good point. His message and his example kind of go back and forth to, to bring people in, and both in a very, very powerful way. Any other comments on this section? I love this last word in the New American, at least, where it says, uh, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, comma, unhindered. I love the idea that Luke describes Paul preaching here unhindered Mm -hmm. while he's being guarded by a prisoner living in house arrest in Rome. And I think about the things that I feel like I'm hindered by at times. What are some things that, we, that you guys feel like hinder us at times, or we, we feel like hinder us to preach the gospel that maybe we let get in between us and saying the things or, doing, or showing that example? What are some things that hinder us in this day and age that we think hinder us? I think, uh, I think we often lose sight of the example of Paul here where Paul, like we were talking, he persuaded regardless. He was going to persuade regardless of what they received it as. And I think what hinders us today, what hinders me sometimes, what hinders all of us is this idea of rejection. You know, that going back to that verse, it's, it's amazing how succinctly uh, Luke puts it uh, just in that one phrase in verse 24. And some were persuaded by the things which are spoken, and some disbelieved. I mean, that's just pretty simple put, right? I mean, that, that, that's, that's ministry in a nutshell. Uh, some people love you, and some people don't. Some people want to listen to you all day, and some people don't. And, I mean, that's just exactly what's happening to Paul here. So when I think about uh, what hinders me sometimes is that rejection that you feel when uh, things seem to be going well, and then all of a sudden here's this roadblock. Know, it's that rejection that you feel. It's the same reason many of you uh, who aren't ministers, who, who do not uh, communicate God's Word on a normal basis or regular basis, the same thing happens to you. Same, same rejection happens to you when you try to finally go out on that limb and talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel to a co-worker or a friend or a relative or whoever the case might be, and you get rejected. How hard is it to get back out on that I think rejection could be the strongest uh, hindrance uh, mm-hmm. that we face. But as you said, uh, as we think about our hindrances, how they're not really there, or not as serious as Paul's, because even when we are rejected, you could see here that Paul didn't let it affect him. Paul was rejected. Jesus was rejected. Jesus lost an apostle. Jesus lost the uh, rich young ruler. Jesus lost many others. Uh, many times they say, uh, and they walk with him no more. He faced rejection his entire life. But at the end of the day, when we're rejected for the cause of Christ, it's really to our glory, not our glory, really to God's glory for what we're trying to do. So I think we've got to change the way we look at that. I think of two hindrances that we face. Uh, one is perception. Uh, we worry about what it looks like, what we look like, how we come across. We, we worry about how we're going to be received and what somebody's going to think about us and, and, and our concern about the perception that somebody else will have can really negatively impact our willingness um, 
to communicate the gospel. I also think another one would be circumstances, that we, we, we often let circumstances of life get in the way, whether it be circumstances we're dealing with or, or circumstances that we think other people are dealing with. We'll let, we'll let the situation dictate whether or not we're going to share the gospel. And one thing that stands out to me about Paul in this, as we particularly look here in Acts 28, is, is Paul never let circumstances determine whether or not he was going to be uh, a missionary, whether or not he was going to be an evangelist, whether or not he was going to be a minister. And, and I, I often think of uh, 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul will say, I became all things to all people so that I might save some. And, and while that's, that's talking, t- talking particularly uh, about how he adapted uh, not the gospel message, but the method that he uh, went about presenting the gospel, I think it could also apply to circumstances, that he would adapt to whatever circumstance he found himself in. Uh, you know, he would, he would be proclaiming God while on a boat that is adrift in the Mediterranean Sea just two chapters or, or just a chapter earlier, and now he's in a prison cell awaiting his, his own trial, and he's going to adapt to that circumstance. To present to, he's never going to let circumstance dictate whether or not he shares the good news. And so I think circumstance and perception, two things that didn't hinder Paul, but can often hinder us. Um, for me, <laughs> I need to confess, my biggest hindrance is my flesh. <laughs> my heart is strong, but my flesh is weak. You know, laziness and seeking for comfortable uh, comfort and uh, convenience and uh, rest and you know more sleeping and more eating <laughs> <laughs> and hanging out with friends without you know worrying about the work. So my flesh, I mean, is weak, and um, that is my greatest hindrance in um, preaching the gospel against preaching the gospel. I mean. As I see Paul's life, I really appreciated this study. I mean, myself, I learned a lot and uh, got a lot of encouragement from this study. And also, I felt a lot of shame about myself because I was not like him, Paul. And I was not so enthusiastic. I was not so passionate. I was not so diligent. I was not so fervent about the gospel. So, you know, it made me feel ashamed of myself and, and, and also it encouraged me and pushed me to do better. So, I, you know, I, I confess that I need to be better and also um, my biggest hindrance in preaching the gospel is myself. So, you know, I will appreciate your prayers for me and about that. Amen. I think we could all echo those same sentiments. Absolutely. At the end of the day, it's uh, on us to fulfill that mission. And when we don't, ultimately it's on us. Like you're saying, that's very true. Let's turn our attention to our second passage of the evening, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Paul writes to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. You know, this is a passage 
This is one of those passages you, you strive your whole life to echo. This is a passage you, you wake up every day to say, that, that's what I want to be able to say at the end of my day, you know, at the end of my time. Um, the, the question I have concerning this passage comes from the thought in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. What does it mean, what does it look like fighting the good fight? What does that look like in our lives today? To fight the good fight as Christians in, our, in the modern era today, what does that look like? And I'll start off by answering, I think it comes down to a question of consistency. Fighting the good fight, I think, comes down, from, comes down to living a consistent life to the best of our ability of living for God. So I'll, I'll start with that thought and maybe circle back to it, but I want to go ahead and open that up to you guys. When, when I read this passage, um, and particularly in, in those three statements about fighting the good fight, uh, finishing the race, keeping the faith, the one word that com- the, the one idea that comes to me the most is confidence. When I read Paul's words, here is an individual who is confident in their salvation. And I fear that for a great many Christians, there is a lack of confidence in their salvation. And I believe Scripture teaches us that we can be confident in our salvation, that we don't have to walk around being uncertain about whether or not we're going to heaven. And, and I think there, there, to oversimplify this, there are two main ways that you can, two main reasons you can have confidence. You can have confidence if you maintain obedience. Because the whole idea, Jesus himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He, that statement is repeated over and over again. And the idea is, if, the, if we will do what he tells us to do, we can have confidence in our salvation. And I think the other thing, the, the other factor is uh, productivity. The idea that you bear fruit. The idea that, you, that a good tree bears good fruit, Matthew chapter 7. And, and so if you are uh, obedient to what uh, the scriptures have told you to do, and if you are bearing fruit in keeping with that obedience, you can have confidence in your salvation. And when, when I read these words of Paul, I, I sense an expression of his that, that he knows where he's going, that he knows his eternal destination. He knows whether or not his salvation is secure. And, and if Paul can have that kind of confidence, so can we. So confidence is, is what stands out to me as we come across this fighting the good fight. You know, when you asked that question in the, in the before, when we were working on this lesson, and you asked the question, how do we fight the good fight today? Uh, awkwardly enough, I, I was wondering how to answer that in a succinct way that uh, was easy for us to understand and uh, a way that we could all feel like we could accomplish. And I came to the realization that Paul gives us the, the way we fight the good fight by what he says in the next two things. He says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. All right, stop right there. Well, Paul, how did you fight that good fight? How did you do it? Well, he did it by finishing the race and keeping the faith. To me, that's how we keep, how we fight the good fight today. How do we fight that fight? How do we reach this uh, goal that we have set before us by the life of Paul, uh, well, we have to finish the race. When I think about finishing the race, I think about going, leaving it all on the field. As we say in sports world, they left it all on the field. They left it all on the court. There's nothing that they could have done more for their team. There's nothing that they could have done more to help win that game than what they did. There is not a single block they could have made, a tackle they could have made, a shot they could have made, or a catch they could have had, or whatever the case might be. There is nothing they could have done more. They left it all out on the field. That's what I think about him finishing the race. He finished that race. He left it all out on the field for the church. He, let, he put his body on the line. He put his life on the line. He put his time on the line. He gave everything he had for the church. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, when he's talking about his sufferings, he says, above all of these things, above being stoned, above being shipwrecked, above being naked, above being in perils, of all these different perils, above all of those things, 
was his deep concern for the church. That is someone who finished the race, someone who left it all out on the field. And secondly, how do we fight that fight? We keep the faith. Amongst that host of trials and all the tribulations he went through and us in our life today, all the things that we go through, all the struggles that we have, if we keep the faith, keep the faith when it doesn't make sense to keep it. Keep the faith when everyone around us does not. Keep the faith when all is almost lost. That's how you fight that good fight. And that's what, exactly what Paul did. He finished the race, he left it all out, and he kept the faith. That's how you fight the fight. I would like to go back to uh, Acts chapter 28, verse 31. It says, um, I mean, the, the, the scripture says, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Here we find the word boldness. So I think uh, we need boldness in our fight. If you want to have a good fight without boldness, it is, it is impossible. If we are uh, you know, frightened or if we are, uh, you know, if, if I am a coward or if I am you know, suffering from fear, of the enemy, then how would, how, would I, how would I be able to fight a good fight? Myself will defeat myself. In other words, I'll be defeated by my fear, by my you know, kind of hesitance, kind of, I mean, uh, drawing back, I mean, hiding. So I think for us to fight a good fight, we need to be bold. We need to be, you know, um, <laughs> courageous. I, I forget the word. <laughs> so courageous and brave and, you know, we, we need to have boldness. Uh, so how can we get I mean, have the boldness. How can you get the boldness? I think we need to be persuaded, like uh, Ben said and Harold also mentioned. We have to, first, we have to be persuaded by the gospel. First, we have to be convinced by the gospel. First, we have to uh, overcome the perceptions of others, I mean, rejections from others, and even persecutions from our enemies. So then we can have the boldness and also by having the boldness, by the boldness, we can overcome those enemies, uh, spiritual or psychological or mental you know, enemies. So if we really want to fight a good fight in faith to reach the crown that God prepared for us, we have to embolden, our, embolden ourselves. We have to persuade ourselves that we are not alone and we have Jesus, our Christ, the Almighty God in our back. So we are his hands, we are his feet, and we are his instruments. Then we can have the uh, boldness. And also, again, like Ben pointed out, we, we need to have faith to have boldness. Uh, if we die here today, at this time, the place that is much better than this is uh, prepared for us. We have to believe that. We have to have faith about that. Then we will have the boldness that we have to have and we will be able to fight a good fight. Absolutely. Um, quickly before we move on, kind of wrapping up what I was saying uh, about the consistency, just a few words that I picked up from this passage, uh, verses 2 and then verse uh, 5. You find the phrases, be ready in season and out of season, and then verse 5, be sober, endure in hardship, and then fulfill your ministry. 
I think one thing that goes into fighting the good fight, along with whatever, all that has already been said in a, in a really good way, is this idea that to fight a good fight, to run a, run a race, does not mean you sprint and then get to take off some. It's a consistent, I'm trying to keep my pace. I'm trying to stay, you know, I'm trying to stay ahead. I don't get to sprint and then I get to take a little, you know, this is, I think, I think about the rabbit and the hare. You know, the rabbit does, the life of a Christian is not the one where you get to jump ahead of everybody. You go on that great mission trip. You go to a go and do event, and you go, okay, I'm good for the month of May. You know, fighting the good fight includes being ready in season and out of season, enduring the difficult times and fulfilling your ministry, which takes a daily onset of a determination. So wrapping up our, our full study tonight, and really the, the wrapping up the full study on the life of Paul, I've got three quick questions that we can kind of go through with the time we have left. What is the biggest application point from this overall study that you're walking away with? From the whole study, what's the biggest application point that you personally are walking away with? For me, it's that your past doesn't define you. Because we look at, we look at Paul, who was Saul originally, and he was the greatest persecutor of the church, and suddenly he becomes the greatest evangelist of the church. His mistakes and, and his failures and the, the things he did, did wrong didn't dictate how God used him or, or who he became. And so for me, the greatest application is that, that your past and your mistakes and your failures, they don't define you. Well, that's exactly what I had down when we think about that night where we talked about the reception, how he was received. And the application we had there was the from darkness to light. Uh, the, the two takeaways that I have from that lesson and the two takeaways that I take away from this uh, entire series is the idea, it don't matter how dark your dark was, God can make you a bright light. And secondly, uh, when you are in the light, don't let anyone try to drag you back down to the dark. That's what we see from the life of Paul. People tried to keep him in that dark. People tried to keep him as that persecutor and put all these labels on him uh, and he simply wanted to preach Christ and him crucified and he let nothing stop him from doing that so first of all is understanding that it don't matter how dark your life has gotten or how dark it has been uh, God can make it light again and secondly once you're in the light don't let anybody drag you down to the dark um, I am the of his conviction of the gospel. That's why, that's, I mean, the conviction is the thing that probably makes Paul so passionate about the gospel, passionate for preaching the gospel. So I'm not such a passionate person. So sometimes as I see a brother, some brothers and sisters who are so passionate in the gospel, I, I want to learn from them how, how I can be so passionate. But Paul is a, uh, probably is the, one of the greatest example or one of the greatest uh, you know, uh, models that I can learn from. Uh, so that's the thing uh, I would like, I mean, I really uh, focused and learned from Paul. You know, he was so passionate and I want to be like him. And I just, I just want to be like him. Even on the day when I, you know, when I might go home, you know, he was so convinced that, you know, uh, the crown of life is prepared for me. So I think he was so, uh, confident about that, he could be so confident about that because he was so passionate during his life for the gospel. I personally really enjoyed the uh, companion less, or study that we had together. And just, uh, we got to study a whole night of the men that poured into him, the men that he got to work with, and, and then the, the people that he worked alongside, and then the people that he invested in. Uh, that's the biggest application I, that I'm really taking away from that is just the importance of the people around him. And then that was echoed this morning in, this, you know, in your lesson about Onesiris. And just this idea that, and I forget who this quote comes from, but 
we really are the sum total of the people that are in our lives. We are made up of the people that are around us. And with Paul, you know, a lot of times we think about the heroes of the Bible. Obviously, Paul, I think, he's up there. He's one of those top five men. Paul is who he is, obviously, first and foremost because of Jesus. But then you see the, his supporting cast around him and all the people that made, you know, make up and help and support. And he's able to pour into all around the life of Paul. And so that made me think inwardly about the people in my past, present, you know, and people I want to invest in who have invested in me. So I think that's one of the biggest applications I'm taking away from it is just the cast at all. That I mean, and there's more. I mean, we didn't talk about all the other men, just that, like the, the gentleman you talked about this morning, that they're still left in Scripture, that worked alongside and helped, and he was able to talk to throughout his study. Was there something new that you guys learned or a different angle that you saw for the first time from our study? You know, uh, I don't know if it's uh, new, but it's definitely something worth pointing out and remembering and as we were studying this, this, this study, it was really evident uh, after compiling all of the verses about his education and all the verses about his upbringing and all the things he had to say about the height that he had reached among the Jewish people. Uh, it was evident for me, studying that, just how much he gave up. Uh, just how much that he uh, rejected because of one moment, one encounter with Jesus, and he changed it all. He rejected the rest of it. Uh, he counted all things but loss, or for loss, for the sake of Christ. Uh, he, had, he was a, a Jew of Jews, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He would have been given all the glory and fame that was to be given to all the entire Jewish people. And he gave it up. He left it behind him, and he never looked back. And in fact, he challenged those who didn't have the courage, the boldness, to follow him and do the same thing. That was the different angle. You know, we think about, I mean, obviously, if Jesus comes to you and blinds you, you better follow him. I mean, you, you better do what he has to say. I mean... You better, if you want your sight back, you know, so we, we sometimes forget the sacrifice he made. We think about the sacrifice he made physically, the sacrifice he made uh, with all the different persecution. We don't think about what he gave up personally, the family that he left behind, the mentors that he left behind, and that former life that he left behind. And it challenges us all to think about what we need to give up, even if it's hard like that. It was not an easy decision, something he poured over for three days as he was blinded. But just like with Paul, when he let it go, he was given the sign. When we let it go, when we let our past go, when we let our former life go, we'll be given that sight. Same as him. Uh, maybe it's only me who didn't think like this, but... Um... I found that uh, I was missing something in Paul's uh, life and also uh, his, uh, his writings. That it is that Paul is also a Christian. He loves, he loves his companions. He loves his fellow uh, Christians. He loves even his enemies like you know, Jew, Jewish people who were persecuting him. He they, even he said in Romans chapter nine and ten, uh, he said that you know um, I would rather get out of the. I mean, I would rather uh, get get my name out of the book of life if I can help the you know Jewish people uh, to be saved. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, maybe you know wrong but anyway he he expressed his love for his fellow Jewish people even though they were persecuting him so in my in this study especially as as we were discussing about uh, becoming everything for you know uh, to save some uh, reminded me that uh, 
Paul was really loving person. He was bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit by loving such such a love. And lastly, and in as few you know, maybe as few words, you know, just in a few words, how would you sum up the legacy of Paul? I would sum it up with the word surrender. Because if you look at his life before he became a Christian, Paul was Paul wanted control. You think about his level of education and his background that, that Ben was just talking about a minute ago. And here's this guy who's rising in the ranks of the Pharisees, probably going to be the next big 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 deal person. You know, he's training at the feet of Gamaliel. He's he's now uh, you watch his story unfold during the persecution phase and and he's giving his approval for Stephen's um, execution, and he's there uh, with the coats, and then now he's initiating this massive persecution in the city of, of Jerusalem, and he's chasing Christians to Damascus, and he's in control, and then suddenly he sees the light, and he's forced to surrender control of his life. He's no longer uh, the one dictating everything. God's the one who comes into the picture and says, okay, set aside for me, Paul, for this mission work. And here's Paul trying to go to different mission fields, and God, uh, via a a vision, comes to him and says, no, 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 you're going to Macedonia. You're going where I tell you to go. And then Paul's in prison, and and, and God's saying, no, 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 now now it's time to go to Rome. Now, Now it's time to carry the message even further. So Paul is having to learn all throughout his, his life that he's not the one to control. And that's why I, I love the verse, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet, yet not I, but Christ. I'm singing the, Sing song, the song now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that passage where in Galatians 2.20 where he's essentially saying, it's not me. I, I'm dead. Christ reigns. Christ lives. He's in control. And so surrender is my word. Sorry, I didn't mean to take that much time. You know, we, obviously there's a lot of legacy to be left. Uh, Paul, I believe, is the greatest force for the church uh, whose name is not Jesus. Uh, other than Jesus, you got Paul. Paul wrote over half of the New Testament books uh, with his own hand. And, I mean, there's obviously uh, a lot to be said about his mission work. There's a lot to be said about his evangelism. Missionaries to this day still use that Pauline methodology of, going from town to town, establishing congregations, and coming back and rotating like the same way Paul did throughout his, throughout his mission work. To this day, people still do that. My grandfather's done that uh, his entire life. Uh, but to me, we've already, ta- we've already talked about it a little bit, uh, and I'm not going to talk about it more than just to say Paul demonstrates uh, above all of those things, above all of the accolades that we could say about Paul, Paul demonstrates from darkness to light better than any character in all the Bible. Better than any figure, better than any person in all the Bible, Paul demonstrates from darkness to light greater than anyone else. Uh, The darkest of darks, the lightest of lights in all the Bible. And I think that is the takeaway, that's the legacy of Paul. Uh, It teaches us that you can be the chief of sinners, that you can be uh, the least of all the saints, that you can be the persecutor, you can be the murderer, you can do the things in which you hate like Paul said he did. And still, God can not only forgive you for that, but can make you the greatest force for good in all the church. So that's, that's the legacy of Paul to me. Okay. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 6 and 7 says, uh, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the suppressing power belongs to God and not to us. I think Paul is the one who shows us that this scripture is true in his life, I mean, by his life. He challenged himself until the jars of clay would be broken shattered and destroyed for the gospel to let the light uh, in the jars of clay to shine force to people. But God gave him 
grace. So he was not shattered. He was not destroyed. But the gospel was so powerfully proclaimed by him because he pushed himself to the limit until he would be destroyed without God's grace. That is, I think that is Paul's legacy. You know, I think one of the best compliments you can give somebody is when you say they remind you of Jesus. And when I look at the life of Paul, I think his legacy, when I read about him, when I look at him, I'm reminded of Jesus. It makes me want to imitate, uh, it makes me want to imitate him as he imitated Jesus himself. And so I think the legacy of Paul, we could spend the next few weeks, you know, continuing about the legacy he had. But ultimately, all it was was an echo of the legacy of Jesus. And I think that's a compliment in itself. Let's close out our study with a prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for being our Father. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us with this study and this time on Sunday night, and especially out of uh, the pandemic, Lord, where we could meet for the majority of this study, the whole time of this study. Lord, we thank you for that blessing in itself and, and for the means in which people can still be watching online as well. We're so thankful that we have this opportunity to study this time, to have this study with each other. Lord, we thank you for the life of Paul. But Lord, ultimately, more than that, we thank you for what you were able to work through him and work in him. We thank you for the wisdom that you have left for us through his hand and through his mouth and through the travels that he led and the life that he poured out, Lord, for your behalf. So we thank you for your wisdom and your love and the insight that we see um, about you, Lord, through him. Again, Lord, we thank you for being our Father. We ask you to be with us as we travel home tonight. And thank you again for the study that we're able to have tonight. Proud to your son's name. Amen.